Thank you, everybody, for joining today's episode of Roofing It Podcast. I'm your host, Armando Jaycox, and we are here with TJ Ware from Paradise Claims. TJ, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I'm glad to be here, Armando. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been really fun getting to know you, getting to uh, to meet you to a certain extent at the roofing uh, conferences. You were uh, voted, at least internally on our team, the most uh, the funniest uh, person because you you brought up globular roofing. <laughs> That's kind of what you're known for around here. Um, so yeah, thanks for being such a good sport with everything and for joining us on this call in such a in such a you know um, spur of the moment thing. That's what makes it I feel like really interesting because. Man, you like posted something really cool today as far as like kind of, you know, your experience with, uh, you know, the hurricanes and, and kind of what happened uh, in Florida and then like having Louisiana hurricanes and jumping right in and having like some challenges and stuff. Like, do you mind telling a little bit more about like kind of the post that you did today? I mean, what, what kind of made you want to like, you know, kind of do that sort of vulnerable kind of thing? Well, um it's easy for people to look at, at social media and make a lot of assumptions about a lot of people, myself included. Uh, and I think it's important that we're able to show our real selves to people within the industry. And we've had a very challenging seven months. And I really appreciate some of my team members and some of my circle that have helped us persevere and get through that. But I've, I've actually, I've owned several businesses. Um, we've, we were in the construction industry for many years before this. I've gone through a lot of struggles in business before, but I've never undertaken anything nearly as difficult as the last half year has been uh, pretty much mostly connected to our operations down in Lake Charles, Louisiana. So I, I just felt like um, I'm somebody that shares a lot of my feelings. And some of those things have been weighing on me for a while. I've seen how much we've given to this business, take a little bit of a toll on my family. And that, that hurts me at times. And I feel like part of correcting something is owning up to it. And so I want to take ownership and responsibility for my own failures, whether that be uh, as a business leader, as a husband, or as a father, and then try to make amends and do things better in the future. Yeah. Yeah. No, man, I, I, uh, I can, I hear you. And I, and I relate to that because, you know, I've had some very challenging times in the last six months as well, personally in my business. And I think you're right. I mean, it's a, it's a big problem and kind of what people see on social media and what the truth is behind, you know, um, behind, uh, you know, an individual's story or a business's story, you know? And so I do think it, I, I agree that like, it's better to kind of get things out more in the open, you know, and not sort of portray something that you are not. That's where I think the danger is where people portray something that they are not. And then, um, you know, we kind of see that kind of stuff with like the tiger woods of the worlds, you know, where, I mean, that's kind of a <clears throat> extreme example. He was portraying this like perfect person that he was, you know, and then you kind of see what happened with him with, you know, the, you know, I mean, I don't want to go too far into Tiger Woods, but he, I'm still a big fan of his, but you know, what happened with him with all the girls in Vegas and stuff, you know, and his, his, his wife, his, um, life, you know, falling apart. So, um, so yeah, you really know, I can, under, I, I can understand that to an extent though, because in the last year, uh, I've, I've grown my network a lot and my visibility has increased quite a bit. And I have learned that if you show vulnerability, sometimes people can't take advantage of that. 
And there are a lot of people that feel threatened by the success of others. And unfortunately, I've had to deal with the fallout from that quite a bit from people that I didn't expect it to be from. But I've had other people in the industry reach out to me and say, hey, man, sometimes the more successful you are, the more people want to see you fail. And I wish that weren't true, but I think there's some truth to that. Now, I'm reassured by how many friends I've made that would buy into the same philosophy as I do that a rising tide lifts all boats. And so everybody who's in my close network, I want them to do better. I want to help them do better. And if they also want to help me do better and everyone that we're connected with has that same mindset, we're all going to be more successful in the long run. So I'm working hard not to let some of the disloyalty or difficulties like that drag me down and still keep an optimistic mindset. Yeah, that's so challenging, you know, to keep that optimistic mindset because, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I think uh, it's so important to kind of realize that we can, there, there's abundance in this world, you know, and we can all be successful. It doesn't have to be for one person. It's not necessarily a zero-sum game. And, you know, entrepreneurship and success in general is, is not a zero-sum game. You know? Absolutely. I preach that constantly, both in my business, like relating to my own clients, uh, you know, I, I make it a practice in my business to not do business with people that do see it as a zero-sum game because I'm always looking for a win-win scenario. I don't want to go into a win-lose scenario because most scenarios don't need to be win-lose. We should be working together synergistically with people around us so that, so that it's not a zero-sum game. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough though, because it, I think, I think the people who understand that it's a zero sum game, um, it, it's sort of a small minority. I think, I think the, the, the dominant way of thinking is that if someone wins, someone else loses, you know, and, and that's kind of how the majority of the world operates, I think. And so I feel like, it, you know, if we can kind of move towards getting away from that and realizing everyone can win and everyone, we can, there is abundance in this world. And even though it may not feel like that with all the inequality that we can see in plain sight, really, um, I think there is, uh, th there is still like a, a way that we can access where everybody can win and everyone can have abundance. And even the worst of our society and like countries that are really bad off, like there's a way where there's a will, there's a way to kind of get everybody going. I'm very idealistic. <laughs> I feel like I'm talking very idealistically right now, but I really do believe that we can solve some of the world's biggest problems with, um, you know, with technology and, and with uh, thinking in terms of win-win and thinking in terms of like rising everybody up and all that kind of stuff, you know? Sure. You know, I've, I've actually been very involved with both some businesses and developing countries and a lot of service work and nonprofit organizations in Western Africa. And these problems are fixable, but it's, it's very interesting that the problems that need to be addressed aren't always the ones that seem to be the most apparent. We may want to dig water wells for clean water in third world countries, provide education and healthcare, but the lack of those things is a symptom of the problems that they're experiencing. It's not the root cause. And when you get to the root cause of things like that, it, it can be a little bit more challenging, but I, I definitely agree with you. I think there are ways that we can overcome these things if we're willing to work together. Yeah. Um, so TJ, let's kind of switch gears a bit because I know there's something that our, our audience, 
uh, is curious about, because I'm personally very curious about this, you have an enormous amount of children. <laughs> I don't mean to be offensive, but you have what, like nine kids or something crazy like that, right? Do I? <laughs> yeah, what is, yeah. What, can you like, what is the situation with you, your, you and your spouse both, like, I, for, I mean, I, again, like she's got like a very great figure and I can't understand how she had nine kids. Did you guys adopt some of those kids or are they all yours? They're all ours biologically. So she was naturally well-suited for having kids. And if that weren't the case, then we probably wouldn't have ended up having as many. To be very honest with you, we did not start off with the idea that we were going to have a big family. When we got together, she didn't think she could have kids. She had been told by a doctor maybe she couldn't. And so we had our first four kids on four different methods of birth control. Wow. wow. Including the IUD, if you know anything about that. So yeah, I do. We decided yeah, my, my wife has an IUD. <laughs> we decided that maybe God had a plan for us and that was to have a big family. And so we just kind of continued with the trend and we've really enjoyed it and embraced it despite the cost, you know, the expense and the logistical challenges. People often ask us, you know, if, if we're Mormon, if we're LDS or Catholic and we're not, uh, I think that I am licensed in Utah, so I do plan to blend in well out there, but, <laughs> but so no, that's, uh, you know, I, I would say, um, that's a funny question, but, uh, you know, we, we do have, uh, we do have maybe what you would call a religious worldview. Uh, I do think that children are a blessing. I do think that we should do good unto others. And so, yeah, you know, I'm not overly religious, but I do have that worldview um, and, and do come from a background that embraces that. Do you guys kind of sort of go to church on Sundays type thing? And like, that? we do. I mean, the last seven, COVID and then the last seven months was really challenging for us. So yeah. uh, we do generally attend a Christian church. My kids have Bible names. So our faith, our faith has been a big part of our life. I served as a missionary pilot for a short period of time at one point in my life. I haven't always lived that lifestyle. I started off with a, with a really difficult and rough lifestyle. Um, not a lot of people know. You, yeah, you got into some trouble before you had kids, right? So, you know, I lived on the street at 15 years old. Wow. And have been on my own ever since. Uh, dabbled with a lot of with a lot of drugs and illegal activity as a young person i did get into a little bit of trouble as a youth i went to the marine corps after 9-11 and uh, ended up uh, in iraq shortly after we got married i went to iraq and um, it was in some rocket attacks there and ended up with a brain injury and post-traumatic stress disorder so mm -hmm. i spent some time in the hospital back here in a partial hospitalization program through the va and I went back to school and put myself back together for a few years. And then in about 2010, uh, I got into construction hmm. and I got into roofing and electrical contracting. Uh, I then became a partner in a uh, solar power startup out of Dallas. And I continued running the roofing electrical contracting business until after I'd founded this public adjusting firm. And then I was able to exit from that business about three years ago and just focus on paradise claims. So you got, you got in some trouble when you were younger, then you end up going to the military 
and then you got out of the military, um, had some serious issues, like as far as like, gosh, your military experience, I couldn't even imagine them. And then you got got out and then you started up this electric, electrical and solar power, like on your own type thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've always, I've always been like extremely entrepreneurial. Uh, you know, I just jumped into things with both feet. I've always been able to find people to help me. I've hired people before I was an electrician myself. I hired electricians to work for us. I hired people that had some experience in roofing and I learned a lot of lessons the hard way really until I was exposed to some of the online groups about five years ago by Steve Patrick actually at one of April Hall's events. And Steve Patrick invited me to his Facebook group and I began to process the knowledge that was there and use this network of other professionals to really grow myself into a good understanding of the industry. That's really interesting. Yeah, the, I've gotten a lot out of Steve Patrick's uh, Facebook group as well. Um, I know I got in this industry when I was 2011, and there wasn't really a lot of knowledge. You know, there wasn't. Uh, there was uh, Mike Coday had RoofingSalesman.com, and we're like just reading everything I could about that, and then just kind of like jumping into roofing sales and kind of get going with things. But I remember when that level of the playing field site kind of started, and I joined, and like it was very active and very useful and such good amount of information on there and like definitely over the years there's been a certain amount of trolling that's happened on the site but i feel like steve's very good about staying on top of it and like you know kicking people out and like not letting it become this sort of like troll haven you know no they're great and shortly after i became exposed to level of playing field <clears throat> i also uh came to know the win the storm group and i think what was a big shift there is that that was the first time that a lot of people in the industry got together and were actually trying to help each other collectively as a whole. Like you said, there are some that don't have that same mindset, but in general, uh, the idea and the basis behind those groups is that we're there to add value and knowledge to each other. And I think that has transformed the industry. Yeah, I think it's important to kind of remind, remind our, everyone that that's what those groups are about, is adding value and information and education to each other and empowering the contractors, right? Everyone in the group, because, man, um, there was a, one guy who was posting in that group, you know, some very obviously was very new in the industry, and he was uh, in the roofing sales one in, in Hunter's in Hunter's group. And, um, and he, uh, I don't know if you heard about this, but you know, people were really coming after him. Like, are you seriously asking these questions? It's the stupidest question, like that kind of stuff. And the dude ended up passing away, like in like a month, um, you know, mm -hmm. I do, I recall that. Was, yeah. And, 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 but what was really cool is that Hunter, he reached out to Hunter and Hunter was very helpful and useful and like helping, you know, trying to do his best to kind of help the guy out who was brand new in this business. And it just kind of, I remember when that happened, I was like, man, like, you know, um, when people post very like early on stuff, like let's like help these guys out. I mean, there's no need to come after them if they're just asking what is recoverable depreciation? Look, if you don't know what recoverable depreciation, you're selling roofs, like you're the, and the company's not sort of t teaching you that very early on, you know, that could be, that's definitely an issue, you know, but if you go onto a group and you ask a question as simple as that, you know, you shouldn't get attacked for it. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't like assholes in my life, in my business, or in my Facebook groups. Yeah, 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 I hear you. I hear you, man. Um, so tell us about Paradise Claims then. So, like, that was, again, you. So, like, you've been doing entrepreneurial stuff since you were a kid. 
Um, uh, and then you, you, you know, got out of the military, you did the electrical solar thing. And then how did you discover adjusting? It's like sort of a random business, right? And public adjusting. Well, you know, our roofing company, uh, we had gotten exposed to it a little bit. Uh, and I used some, I had used a public adjuster and I have a similar story to a lot of people. I didn't really like the guy. I didn't like his business practices. And so I understood that there was a potential business model there, but it wasn't until I had an interaction with an Allstate adjuster on a roof in 2016. And I was there really just trying to help my customer get their entire roof replaced when Allstate wanted to just spot repair all over this three tab roof after a small tornado near my home. And I went up there and I explained to him all the reasons that according to the manufacturer, uh, this roof should be replaced in its entirety, not repaired. And the Allstate adjuster berated me and talked down to me in front of my customer, said, all of you roofers are just greedy bastards and want to take everything you can. I was very, very upset. I left that job that day and I did a little bit of research and I had seen that Allstate had made like $2.3 billion in net profit that year. And their, their CEO had received over $11 million in executive compensation. But this guy was going to berate me in front of my clients saying that I'm greedy because they won't fix his roof properly. That day I decided to, be, to become a public adjuster and I didn't really know what it would develop into. I actually thought that it would give me a license to go out there and fight these insurance companies. But in reality, once I became a public adjuster and I would get involved with these claims, the insurance adjusters generally treated me very cordially and professionally, which kind of pisses me off because they'll treat a contractor really crappy. But when I go out there, they want to be nice and cordial and respectful. And I really think that's a disservice. That's very interesting uh, that, you know, you kind of had that experience because, uh, you, you know, we've, I've trained our people and including myself um, to be very cordial and respectful to adjusters and the insurance company. We even have it in our core values that we're respectful to the insurance company because, you know, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, we, I, I take that very, very seriously. I mean, we, we appreciate working with them quite a bit and I think it's helped our brand in the local Denver area because we have a good reputation, like, you know, um, among, among insurance companies and adjusters, which is great. Um, but I have been down that road as far as like, you know, they literally will not even like talk to you or greet you or say hello. Or it's like, I'm a, we're human beings here. Like, you know, like we're all human beings trying to do our best, you know? And I definitely understand their perspective though, to a certain extent, because I literally just talked to a guy this morning who's going to, wants to come and do roofing sales. He was with a company. They had a contractor that had a guy that they would pay, um, like on a job per job basis to go and cause damage to roofs. Like he would pay them like X amount of dollars and the guy would run up with like a hammer or have these like tools to create wind damage and to create all kinds of damage. Like he's like in the salesman was like, I can't, I, when I, when I saw that, like I couldn't, it blew my mind and like, I could not work there anymore. And I was like, Whoa, that's insane. Like I had, I'm saying I've been doing this 10 years. I heard that like actual, almost like a roofing hitman in a sense. And I kind of realized like that stuff is out there still, you know, that's, you know, I've actually, 
So a lot of people, probably just like you, a lot of people talk to me about a lot of things. And I like that. And, and I have a lot of discretion. You know, I, I don't go share everything with everybody. I will tell you that there is a company that's fairly well known, uh, that's mostly local to North Texas, that I've been told by multiple people that part of their MO is creating damage. And I just hate to hear that. I think that uh, this news does need to travel amongst us business owners because all that all that does is damage our industry, damage our reputation, and, and cause a greater divide between us and the insurance companies. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the whole like sort of there's abundance, you know, if, if the roof doesn't have the damage, like, okay, wish them well, maybe, you know, give them a, a, an offer, a quote for some preventative maintenance, and you can move on, you know, and that's you know, what we do. And, you know, sometimes we sell, a, you know, a $500 preventative maintenance job, and it is what it is, it's fine, we go and do some, you know, do some work there. And, and we, you know, well, what really what we do is we, we do some work there. We get them in our database. We now have them in our hail trace system. If there's ever damage, if there's ever a hailstorm, guess who we're, we're going to come to us first. We're going to reach out to them first and we're going to get that job. You know, we didn't have to go and cause some damage and like risk. Oh, and by the way, that roofing company owner told me is in literally in jail. And I was like, whoa, um, why was he in jail? He's like, well, not related to that. It was related to some other drug stuff he was doing. I was like, man, that sounds like a lot of issues. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm so happy I'm not working there anymore. And now he, you know, might come and work here, here with us. But, um, but you know, that kind of stuff is happening. And I can see why adjusters and insurance companies get, you know, so um, defensive and upset. And, you know, because there is a lot of crazy stuff like that in our industry. You know, we, we work in a pretty interesting industry. Um, roofers sometimes get a bad rap, storm chasers sometimes get a bad rap, and there are bad actors that reflect upon all of us. Part of my involvement with the APA, which, you know, I'm a board advisor for the APA. I'm also a board advisor for the American Adjuster Association. And with the APA specifically, we're trying to change that narrative, okay? Doug and, and has spent a lot of time speaking with uh, attorneys general and, and district attorneys, about the fact that insurance fraud is oftentimes perpetrated by carrier side representatives as well. And unfortunately, in the news, most of the press that you see is the contractor that took somebody's money or vandalized the, uh, a home in order to get insurance money. But I really hope that we can be successful moving forward and shifting that narrative so that people have a better understanding of the industry and, and how those bad actors are actually, they're, they're there on both sides. Yeah, they really are. They really are. Um, and so like with Paradise Claims, like so you started just yourself and then you started adding people and like, what have you grown? I mean, do you have, you have like now, you know, quite a few adjusters working, working there. I mean, I think your wife works there as well. Um, you know, what, what's, uh, what's the status of Paradise Claims now? Uh, we, we did, we started off just me, really, me and my wife. Uh, and that was uh, in 2017. And then uh, we have a team of about 12 people now. And we work pretty much from Maryland through the Midwest all the way to Utah. And we have gone through a lot of growth really in about the past year. Uh, we've, we've been consistently growing. I stepped kind of out of the operations seat and hired a COO summer of last year. And I just focused on marketing and business development really. 
And that's gone really great. I've signed up. Uh, I mean, I have about 50 million in open claims right now. And we would like to be able to close 75 million in claims this year in 2021. And then I'm going to hit kind of that $100 million in open claims target. And then I'm really going to buckle down and work on uh, our processes and making sure that, that we provide the utmost customer service to our clients and our referral sources. And then we'll start pushing for some additional growth. Are you going mostly after large loss claims or do you ever help? Uh, do you also help residential? We do very little residential. Um, you know, I, I, I figured out pretty early on in my business model that large loss would end up being my focus. And so as soon as my network was able to support that transition, that's the direction I went in. And a lot of that is, well, there's a lot of different reasons for that, really. I think most people would prefer to work on large loss if they're able to get that business. And so I've been very blessed and fortunate to be able to get that kind of business. Um, my adjusters uh, are compensated better with large loss. So I want team members that are happy and that are paid well for the work that they do. And also when we're dealing with business owners and more of a B2B uh, scenario rather than a B2C scenario, some of that emotionalism is taken out of it. And those are some of the difficulties we've run into in Lake Charles. We did do residential claims in Lake Charles because our average residential is over $200,000 in Lake Charles. We've done residential claims here with the pipe bursts in North Texas because every claim that we have is over 150 k and you do run into some of those emotional issues with homeowners being displaced. And that's really challenging. We have undertaken a lot of those. We've had some great success serving homeowners. But my passion and focus is still large commercial losses. Um, you know, I totally get that. And uh, it doesn't make sense, you know, because the time that it takes to, you know, work on those claims are, is so challenging. I, I do... Uh, um, I do think there's an enormous opportunity with residential helping people with residential claims. I don't, I haven't, I, if I, if I, if I knew, uh, you know, how to crack that code, I would probably be a lot more successful than I am because, um, if there is a way for homeowners to work directly with either an attorney or a public adjuster, that makes sense where, you know, a do not, like, for example, an appraisal, a quick appraisal somehow, um, you know, with the insurance company where they're paying for, let's say, half the roof and it clearly they need a full roof replacement. They're not working with the contractor and it's only a $15,000 claim, you know, and they so, so can maybe submit an appraisal somewhere um, that can, uh, you know, to an attorney, for example, and do a, do a um, like sort of a remote uh, appraisal um, uh, process. I feel like there could be, uh, you know, a way for residential homeowners to also work with public adjusters more often and somehow to help them because I feel like it's just such a huge problem with like, I mean, I can tell you every single, I mean, I work primarily residential, every single claim that we get is underpaid. I mean, literally every single one, you know, I mean. Um, it's, it's an underserved market and we yeah. do need better methods of dispute resolution for residential claims. But I will tell you, my friend, Jason Roberts, uh, he's a visionary like myself, maybe a bit of an idealist, and he has developed a system called the Virtual PA, and that's the exact target, and that's their mission, is to make public adjusters more accessible on small claims, because you've got to find a way to make it work financially, and that's the issue, obviously. You know, if somebody, 
like let's say Texas, for instance, if if Allstate pays five thousand dollars for this woman's roof, but it really has to be seventy eight hundred for it to be able to be done. Um, if we went in there and worked it, the maximum fee that we could legally charge would be seven hundred and eighty dollars. There's no way that we could afford to apply our business model, our service, and go work that claim and manage it for $780. And so there's an underserved portion of the market there. And I think that people are trying to be innovative and fill that void. Yeah, it was really interesting. Uh, Jason Roberts, I'm going to look him up, make a note of that and look him up. Maybe we can get him on the podcast to talk about that virtual adjuster. That sounds like a very interesting idea. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, yeah. Uh, well, TJ, look, I think I'm going to let you go. I know we've got all, you've got a lot going on and I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's, it's great to finally, um, you know, got to talk to you on the podcast and, um, and I love that, you know, you, uh, you're committed to your family and you and your wife have like, just, you know, it's very inspiring to like see you and your wife grow, you know, over the, over the last few years and in your life in general, I mean, you've come from where you came from to where you are now, which is like just incredible, man. And like, yeah, I, I look forward to keeping in touch with you in the future. Armando, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us on. And I look forward to connecting again. I would like sometimes, you know, maybe you and I could do a photo shoot. I'd prefer if we did it on a roof and I was in a bathing suit. <laughs> I shut all that down, man. Yeah, I got too much heat for all that. I uh, yeah, I shut it all down. So um, listen, listen. You and I have both experienced some haters. I have appreciated. <laughs> I've appreciated your artistic vision, and some other people have as well. Whether or not they vocalize that publicly, uh, I think you're doing cool things. You're trying to be innovative. You're trying to be fun. You're trying to be different. And I appreciate those things. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. I'm going to keep, I'm going to, you know, I'm uh, not going anywhere. I mean, I'm going to keep doing the podcast, keep doing YouTube and keep having fun and uh, keep being innovative. And, uh, you know, I'm sure I'll ruffle some feathers again, but, uh, you know, I did end up shutting down the the whole thing and, you know, we'll kind of uh, figure out something else to ruffle some more feathers down the road. So thank you for your support, TJ. I really appreciate it. You bet. Can you, uh, can you tell us again, like how people can get a hold of you if they aren't interested in, in uh, working with Paradise Claims? Definitely. You know, go to our website, www.paradiseclaims.com. Uh, connect with me or send me a message on Facebook. I'm very responsive. Uh, you can call us at 800-419-3994 or visit our Facebook page at Paradise Claims. And once again, you're working all the way through on the, from the East Coast all the way to Utah at this point. Is that right? That's exactly right. Soon, you know, we're, we're staffing up. We're, we're going through some growth right now. I'm going to have somebody that's dedicated to our Western territory, which is going to be the Rockies, essentially Rockies, Nebraska, Kansas, then central Southern United States, and then the East Coast person who kind of handles clients in those areas. And then our adjusters travel all over depending on the need and their skill set. Nice, man. That's awesome. Cool. All right. We will catch up with you later. Thank you again and um, have a great weekend. Okay. You too. Bye guys. That's going to do it for the show today, guys. Please make sure to like, share, comment, uh, review, subscribe, uh, troll me, whatever you want. (laughs) We'll see you guys later. Bye.